House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. You know, one, one of the things I'm, I'm really proud about Hogan's Heroes, I mean, I, I was a fan of the show. I was a teenager and, you know, used to play army with my buddies and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But then we, we used to watch combat, love combat um, with Vic Morrow. But one of the things I'm really proud about Hogan's now is that in 1965, when it started, there were exactly two series on television that featured people of color on a regular basis. Wow. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, actually. Yeah. And H Hogan's was Ivan Dixon, and can you guys name the other show? Oh, uh -oh. in, in uh -oh, 60, trivia. 65. Uh -huh. And don't look, don't Google. No, I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm just trying to think in my mind, in 65, <clears throat> what was on, and you had like the Lucy show, and you had, um, what else was Well, this is, this is before all of you guys were born, but, you, no, you know, it, no, it's. Not me. <laughs> <laughs> not the case now. <laughs> I was, I would have been three, um, so not me. Okay. Yeah, so. But, uh, um, I'll give you the answer. Okay. I Spy. Oh, right. Bill Cosby. Oh, my goodness, you're yeah. right. Bill Cosby. Those are the only two regular series with people of color in the cast. That is amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's, it's come a long way. Um, I, yeah. I, I'll, t I'll tell you, the thing is, I noticed this um, with, with things like that, um, See, Hogan's Heroes, we weren't allowed to watch. It, it, and even when it came out in reruns and all that, because my, my father um, really disliked that they were making fun of the war and the Germans and the, all this. Like, he had this real thing. And so we would have to sneak watch certain shows. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because we were in one of those. Yeah. In We were in Stalag, um 13. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it really was. It really was. And and even uh, Gary, who was uh, my partner, even his dad was. Um, uh, I could. I cannot repeat what he would say, uh, what he would call shows, because uh, he was a uh, really strict Mormon. So he had a lot of viewpoints on things. So you know, some some of us would have to sneak and go somewhere else to see something like that. So. Right. Right. You know. But, you know, right after that, uh, after Hogan's was on for a couple of years, Mel Brooks comes along with the producers where they, they sing Springtime for Hitler, you know, in a, in a Broadway show. And it's like everything exploded at that point. Um, early on, too, some of the reviewers of Hogan's misunderstood what was going on. They thought it was a concentration camp which it was not. It was a prisoner of war camp, which is right. much different than that. Mm. And, and many, uh, the brains of the show, Edward H. Feldman, who was the producer, and many of the writers and directors and cast were Jewish. So, you know, it, that was never the issue as far as they were concerned. 
Right. Yeah. Well. Now, when 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 he was filming that show, um, he was kind of at his peak. Um, I would say, um, Hollywood-wise, probably. Yes. And um, now, how close were you to him at that time? Uh, well, how, how do you mean? Well, you I mean, guys, besides, besides being father and son. Well, yeah, I mean, did you, uh, I mean, were, were you involved in his day-to-day life in Hollywood and all that? Like, were you kind of um, part of all that, or did, you, did he keep you distant from it? No, no, he, he allowed, uh, I have two sisters, two younger sisters. He allowed all of us to be as involved as we wanted to be. Uh, but because we were all going to school, you know, public schools, uh, I would kind of work around, you know, like summer vacation. I would spend on the set of Hogan's and just hang out there. And uh, You mentioned his radio show earlier. If, there, if he had a guest on one of his shows and I could somehow work that out, you know, like a school holiday or something, I would go with him to the radio show and, you know, watch him interview the guest. And so that, that's kind of how I fit in there. But, no, it's very wide open. Uh, whatever anybody wanted to do, really. Yeah. And and did you did you know about his um, how do we say uh, his kind of his hidden life or his alternative life? Um, later on in my teenage years, he had a dark room at home, which I, I guess most people don't even know what a dark room is anymore. But um, he could develop his own film because it was pre-digital, and he actually used film for his cameras, and he would, uh, you know, develop the film. And, I mean, many of the photos were legitimate, you know, landscapes, or if my mom and dad went on vacation somewhere, you know, he'd be taking photos. But then I saw a few photos of uh, some women who I did not recognize, Uh and that was a, a little light bulb going on for me. Unbeknownst to me, my mom and dad were already in discussions about his uh, extracurricular activities. Uh, but again, you know, my uh, I was 15, 16, some, something like that. And my sisters are much younger, so um, they were, you know, had no idea of this other life. How did you make how did you make sense of all that, Bob? As as a young a young man growing up, influential, watching a, a father be successful and powerful in his own way, how did you make sense of that within your family? Well, it, we had such a what, what I thought was a normal quote unquote normal family. We didn't live in Beverly Hills. We didn't you know my folks didn't drive Mercedes and you know all the glamorous things of that day. We lived out in the, uh, as the TV guide called it, the, uh, uh, what do they call it? Not the, uh, I'll think of the word later. But TV guide came up with a, a great word for Tarzana. That's where we lived out in San Fernando. Yeah. Unfashionable. The unfashionable <laughs> Tarzana, California. And that's where we lived. I mean, it was just suburbia. And we, we did get to have a swimming pool and, you know, but, we had barbecues and, you know, our friends over, and 
we thought we were just a normal deal. So it, it started to shake my foundation when I saw these other women. What What is this? You know, because my parents were the rocks of my life. I mean, they're, they're together. They're, you know, nothing's ever going to change. And uh, so it's, it's the foundation starts shaking a little bit at that point. And how does that impact on your relationship with your father and your relationship with your mother? Well, when my father left eventually, that was about a year or two later, uh, I was still in high, I was senior in high school. I kind of became the, the, the male of the household, which was strange for me because it was always dad, you know, and now he was gone and I have my mom, two sisters, and uh, a grandmother, my mom's mom, lived with us as well. So I was surrounded by women the whole time and that, that became, you know, different for me. I was 17 and, um, uh, you know, that, it was a new, new footing for me. Uh, because everything had always been taken care of, you know, by mom and dad. So, so let, let's go back for just a moment. Whenever you discovered these photos or you saw the photos, did you ask about them? No. I didn't say anything to my mom, and I didn't have the uh, cojones to approach my dad and go, who are these women? I just... I, I didn't have the nerve. Mm -hmm. So, and it wasn't like, let, let me make it clear too, I wasn't in, in the dark room like snooping around or looking for anything. I was just looking at his, uh, some of the legit photos that he had taken. I think of uh, their trip to Hawaii or something. And I was just looking at them and then, you know, going through other photos and then I found these. But I, I, I didn't have the nerve to approach him and I certainly wasn't going to mention it to my mom who as I found out years later already knew about this mm. at what point did your, did your siblings know about it and what was their reaction well uh, much later uh, because my, my two sisters are eight and nine years younger than I am so when I was 17 you know they're wow eight and nine Maybe yeah. eight, nine, something like that. And uh, oh, they're you know they're in grade school. They have no idea. They're they're the same as me. They're just looking at mom and dad as you know the the rocks of the family, the family unit. You know, and have no idea until much later. Okay. So, so in, in a sense, you kept all this to yourself in order to protect the image that you had of your family. Yes, and also, uh, as I said, I just I I didn't have the nerve to be confrontational with my dad, so I just kind of I sucked it in, you know, for years uh, until I could start talking to him a bit in my early twenties mm -hmm. when I when I got a little bit more nerve, but never. A hundred percent, like right now, you know, as a old man that I am, I, I, I you know, when you get older, you, I don't know, for any, for me anyway, I've, 
experience. I, I, I don't uh, mind confronting people about stuff now. Sure. And I would, I would finally feel comfortable in my, my later years to have this conversation with him, which I never really did. Well, did that dis- did that discovery at-, at all? Did it did it shade or, or or jade the way that you saw him and change your relationship at all? It uh, it did shade it a little bit. It was like uh, uh, now I'm starting to find out that there's stuff I don't know about one of my parents. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know about you guys, but you know I I looked at my parents as the rulers of the universe. I mean, they knew everything. They did everything. When, in fact, years later, I find out, no, they didn't. They they were faking it, just like everybody else, you know, trying to put it together and keep it working and, you know, survive. And just like the rest of us, they, they didn't know anymore. But, you know, at that age, I, I think they know everything. They didn't, you know, but I didn't, I didn't realize this until years later. So, so when you fast forward a little bit, after Hogan's Heroes, and um, he had another series that didn't really work out. No. Um, so um, he he started doing this, um, I guess, uh, a dinner theater is what they called it in uh, yes. Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, now, at that time, he, he got an apartment there, and that's kind of a suburb of Phoenix for people that don't know. Um, now, were you living with him in the apartment? Yeah, let, let me let me just uh, change one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, or a couple of things, let me uh, comment on. Um, he had started doing plays years earlier. He was doing plays during Hogan's. So in other words, when, when Hogan's had three months off between seasons, he would hit the road, you know, and go to Chicago or New Jersey or wherever, and do a play, because dinner theater at the time, which is another forgotten thing, dinner theater was a big deal at that time. Uh, all sorts of, you know, people on the way up, people on the way down, you know, veteran performers, new performers, people with series, you know, that kind of thing. They squeezed in these engagements uh, during time off or whatever. And uh, so he had been doing this for a number of years. Secondly, uh, Scottsdale was another engagement. Um, he was not doing any series at the time, so he had a different schedule. But he, he did not get an apartment there. They put him in an apartment just for the run of the show. So in other words, he played. He was supposed to play a month in Scottsdale. So they put him up at, at an apartment instead of a hotel mm. uh, for that month. So that, that's the apartment that you're referring to. But then there's another apartment. There's the apartment in L.A., which I was sharing with him uh, at the time of his death because he was going through a divorce from his second wife. Now, that was uh, Patricia Olson, I believe? Yes. Right. Yes. She was Clink's secretary. Oh, okay. That's right. Yeah. Second secretary. Second First secretary was season one, and then she, uh, Patty, came in, I believe, season two. 
So yeah, he 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 kind of liked uh, Clink's secretaries, period, because he liked both of them. Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> and by the time of of his of his murder, um, he was in divorce with Patricia, right? Yes. So uh, now I can't help but notice that you sort of um, aimed your suspicions toward her. Um, do you feel still feel that way now, today? Well, there, there are always two people in my book. Number one has to be John Carpenter, not, not the film director, but the <laughs> Sony uh, home video salesperson which is how my dad met him. Uh, he would have to rank as number one because he had the means and opportunity. Um, the, the, mo the bottom line, though, for him by killing his so-called friend is that he lost his friend, which I never understood. Secondly, though, the person with any financial gain from his death was Patty. And she's always been number two on my list. She was the only person, they were legally married at the time of his death, going through divorce, you know, the negotiations, you know, attorneys, all that stuff. And um, she gained um, the estate. Now, when I say estate, no big multi-million dollar estate or anything, but for 1978, very comfortable, um, you know, some some cash, a, a couple of properties, and, you know, she she did fine by it, and she's the one who, who gained anything. It's just weird timing. Yeah. So if you laid it all out for us, I mean, how would she have done this? Well, for a while, I thought she she claimed to be in Seattle, of all places, with their son, Scotty, who was, um, I think, six at the time, six or seven. Um, and she loved Bainbridge Island. Right. So that's where she claimed to be at the time of his death. I always thought, and I, I pushed the Scottsdale Police Department on it in the DA's office in uh, Arizona, to push and, and really see whether you could, you know, hop on a plane in Seattle and get to Phoenix during that time span. And, uh, because just to back up for a little bit, the murder scene, the, there was no break-in. There was uh, nothing was taken except for a uh, booklet of Polaroid photos that my dad had taken. Um Otherwise, it was obviously someone he knew who was there because he went to he went to bed. He went to there. It was a two bedroom, mm -hmm. and he went to bed. And uh, the person there he had to have been comfortable with because uh, again, no break in, no forced entry, nothing like that. So that would that would mean Carpenter. That would mean Patty. Um, I don't know. Maybe someone else. Um, not thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't go to bed uh, with someone at your house unless you knew them quite no. well. No. <laughs> I mean, I... <laughs> well. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> no. Someone else that had the key to the apartment? 
that's the other possibility. A, a very strange thing happened. Uh, ten days before his murder, it was Father's Day. Um, and now, Patty and my dad are going through a really ugly proceeding. You know, it's, it's not pretty. Knock on his door at the apartment in Scottsdale, Father's Day, 1978. He opens the door. It's Patty and Scotty, the young son. And when he called me the next day and said, you'll never guess who was here yesterday, and I was racking my brain, I don't know, I gave up. And he said, Patty, Patty? Yeah, she just appeared at the door with Scotty. And they spent a few hours together. It was very uncomfortable. But it's now it's like she's done a recon mission. She knows where he is. She knows the lay of the land. And then 10 days later, he's dead. Mm. Strange. Very strange. Now, now, he was bludgeoned to death with the... Um, didn't they think it's one of the tripods or something? Yes. Yes. Now, that... Um, well, Patty was pretty strong physically. I mean, I, I don't put it past her to do that, but that would have to veer back to Carpenter. Carpenter was a video salesperson. He sold, that was a big thing at the time, is home video. Now, people don't know what video is, but <laughs> home video, that was your own little deck in your camera, and it was instantaneous, and you could watch yourself on the monitor. and You know, it was very exciting. It was like Polaroids. Uh, when you could get the instant Polaroid photo. Um, and so Carpenter would obviously know about equipment, and he would think of, if, if it was him, he, he would think of a murder weapon and a tripod, the head of a tripod, you know, is very hard metal, uh, can do some major damage, which it did. Uh, there were two blows to my dad's head, side of his head, while he was asleep, um, so again, that kind of steers back into Carpenter's, uh, arena. Why, why don't you feel that maybe somebody took out a hitman on your dad? Uh, it, I think if it were a hit, and maybe I've read too many, um, I don't know, Harlan Coven books or something, but if it were a hit, it would have been a gun, in my way of thinking. It would have been clean. It just seems it's just really quite quite um you know targeted that you, you this is terrible tragedy has happened and then you've immediately gone with these two people rather than any other I mean somebody could have easily got a key from the estate agent um, I'm sorry if that's the wrong term it's a British term if you're renting a property you could have gone to have a look around the property. We at Wondery, creators of Dr. Death, Scamfluencers, and Over My Dead Body, go deeper into complex true crime stories to give you an inside look at the facts. And now we're launching the ultimate true crime fan destination, Exhibit C. It's truly criminal. Wondery's Exhibit C gives you the detective's lens of all of the evidence, taking you step-by-step -step through the twists and turns of each true crime case. Join the Exhibit C online community to access exclusive show merchandise, member-only content, and to hear directly from top criminal and social justice experts, witnesses, and investigators as they take us beyond the evidence and into the case file. 
Join now by following Wondery Exhibit C on Facebook or find us on the web at WonderyExhibitC.com and listen to true crime podcasts on Wondery and Amazon Music. Exhibit C, it's truly criminal. Previously, you might know it inside out. I don't I mean, the, the possibilities are fairly endless. So yeah. to come down to two people with very clear motives, I get that. Fully, absolutely understand it. But there are so many other opportunities out there, and, and Hitman is just another one of them. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, um, except, I guess, for the term Hitman. Again, if you said jealous boyfriend of a woman that he was going out with in Scottsdale, I would say okay. But a hit to me is is clean. It's a gun. It's in, out, fast, get out of there, clean. This is a messy two blows to his head. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a mess. I, I went to the murder scene after his body was removed. There's spatter on the walls. There, you know, it's a, it's a mess. I, I think to me, to me that says more emotion, that kind of a strike. And that emotion would again get back to Carpenter, who my dad told him the night before, apparently, uh, according to witnesses, that you know was, they were not going to do this anymore. Carpenter used to visit him in different cities around the country when he did the plays, and he was kind of a hang, he became a hanger on after a while. And it was no longer fun for my dad. My dad told me Carpenter's becoming a pain in the ass in plain language. Um, so maybe seeing the writing on the wall, that's an emotion that's like an emotional breakup for mm-hmm. Carpenter. For Patty, it's an emotional breakup because they're getting divorced. So it would to me it would be messier if it were a mobster hit or, you know, maybe even the even the, the boyfriend of a of a woman or something who had a gun. You go in there with a gun, boom, boom, you're done. You walk away. This was a complete mess. You're a young man at the time living with his father, and um, you, and and so what was the police take on this? So the police well, would have first, had to explore all possibilities. What was their take? First of all, it happened in the wrong town, unfortunately. Scottsdale is a wonderful place, beautiful. At the time, in 1978, they averaged two murders a year. So this was like Andy Griffith and Barney Fife. They had no idea. They were way in over their head. Uh, when I, you know, I mean, a, a lot of things have changed in law enforcement. I, I get it. I watch Law & Order. I watch all the shows. I, I understand that. At the time, people are... Uh, going into the crime scene, they're contaminating it. There are people are touching things. I went there. I went there with my dad's attorney. The the day after, the day of, the, the night of, the murder. Uh, it had happened uh, 12 hours earlier, 15 hours earlier. We came in, and we're walking around the crime scene. I'm touching things. Uh, people were smoking. It was like. What? I didn't think about it at the time, but now, all these years later, and of course it was pre-DNA, 
so there was no DNA testing. Uh, it, it was just they were way in over their head. So they immediately went for Carpenter, uh, the Scottsdale Police Department, because he was in town when it happened. Um, they didn't so much go for Patty. They never really, as far as I'm concerned, pursue it. And then there was talk of the, you know, the jealous boyfriends and the, did your dad owe money to uh, Chicago mobsters? Uh, no. Oh. As far as I know. Yeah, that's um, a little cliche. Yeah. And, and again, that would have been a different, you know, when you mentioned hit, that would have been a hit. That would have been a professional hit, not a sloppy strike somebody in the head, you know. So okay. I guess long, long, long answer short, uh, Scottsdale Police Department was way in over their head. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree with some of that, especially because they were letting people use the phone and and smoke. Yeah, I've, I've heard all of that. Um, but yeah. when we when we talk about those two prime suspects, okay, we understand the ex-wife, the divorce, the whole thing, and the money, and you know. Uh, but now let's talk about the friendship he had with Carpenter. So like in the movie um, that they made years ago, as well as some of the other people out there that have commented, they sort of suggest that Carpenter was uh, perhaps gay, and he had a relationship with your father that was not just business. So that, that seems to be a, a sway, and that could also make more sense if they were ending their partnership or relationship. Can you comment on that? Like, what's, what's, your, what's your feeling on that? Well, it, it, again, it's just from hearing, it's from conversations with my dad. Um, it's from hearing things, reading things like, like you. Um, what I heard was that John Carpenter was bisexual. Um, he did have relationships with women. He loved young women. He loved teenage women. In fact, he, there was a, uh, a charge against Carpenter around that time for um, uh, being, you know, under underage uh, deal with a woman uh, back here in L.A. Um, I think he was in love with my dad. Uh, I think he liked hanging out with these so-called, you know, TV star uh, or, or any celebrity. He was always drawn to celebrities because that's who he sold the, the uh, video products to, with celebrities. Uh, so he liked that whole kind of thing. He was in love with that. And he might have been in love with my dad. Now, my dad's point of view, you know, it, again, me, son, just hearing from my dad, I always uh, thought of him as Hogan. I mean, I... Uh, I thought he was Mr. All-American. Uh, he never seemed to cover up anything with me in that area. But again, how would I know, you know, ultimately? But I, I never got a sense that, that the love like that was returned by my dad. I think it was more of a one-sided thing like they they did portray in the, in the movie. Um, Willem yeah. Dafoe, as a matter of fact, playing Carpenter. Yeah, but I think it was more one-sided. I just, I just, the only thing I see about that, that could all be true, is that generally when it is that way, he was still aware of Carpenter's affection toward him. Yes. 
So th- that in itself is kind of, you know, because they were friends for years, right? It wasn't, this yes. wasn't just a couple of months. This was years. And they had sex with a lot of people, and they filmed each other. And so they were very involved in this sort of thing. Um, I'm just wondering if, if, if that isn't really kind of the passion behind the uh, bludgeoning. Like he was, Carpenter yeah. was there in Scottsdale. Yes, he was. Yeah. Now there, there was a weird occurrence the day that the whole story broke. And again, this is June of 1978. This is pre-tweeting, Facebooking, uh, Instagramming, um, cell phones. You know, none of that. So it didn't go out to the news for a long time uh, that day. Uh, hours, hours. Um, I'm at home at, at the apartment I'm sharing with my dad, with, with my dad in Los Angeles. About three o'clock in the afternoon, I receive a phone call from John Carpenter. And the, the thing that was weird about that was that he never, he would have no reason to call me on his return to LA. Uh, he said, hey, hey, Bobby, how are you? I'm back in L.A. Uh, you know, if you need anything, let me know. And, oh, okay, yeah, how'd it go? Yeah, fine, fine, you know, okay. 30 seconds, hung up with him. I did one of those takes where you look at the phone, you know, like a bad yeah. take in a movie. I'm actually looking at the phone thinking, huh? What the, what the hell? Yeah, what was this? He would call me on his way out. He would call sometimes and go, Bobby, I need to pick up the patch cord that goes from the camera to the deck. Your dad needs this, and I'm going to be seeing him in Columbus, Ohio on Thursday. Okay, so he'd come by and get that, but never on the way back. So that was weird. So after I hang up the phone, I figure, I don't know, I get get a weird feeling. I'm, I'm going to call my dad, just check in with him. So this is now... 3, 3.30 on that afternoon. My dad has now been dead, they think, about 12 hours. I call his apartment in Scottsdale. A woman answers. Hi, uh, who's this? And it's Victoria. Victoria Berry was in the play. There were only four people in the play. She plays this sexy young woman that he's having an affair with in the play that they're doing, Beginner's Luck. She answers the phone. Oh, hey, uh, is my dad around? And she goes, no, he's out right now. I said, okay, well, nothing special. Just can you let him know Bobby called? Yeah, yeah, sure, okay, hang up. Well, it turns out, I find out later, she is surrounded by police, detectives, Scottsdale police. They're having her pick up the phone. You know, like nothing's wrong. Uh, they think he was killed around 3, 3.30 in the morning, and this is now 3, 3.30 in the afternoon. Um, then I find out that Carpenter makes other phone calls. He calls the dinner theater in the afternoon looking for my dad. Well, wait a minute. The show doesn't go on until 8 o'clock. So my dad would get to the theater at, you know, knowing my dad, 7.50, you know, uh, not leaving a lot of time. That's the way he was. So he wouldn't be there at, 3.30 in the afternoon. And Carpenter also called out a couple other people in Scottsdale. So, you know, it's kind of like covering his tracks, 
And I found out all this out later. Uh, so that's strange. Yeah, yeah. So how is your relationship with, with Patty and, and also her son, which would be your stepbrother? My half-brother. Your half-brother. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. How is the relationship? Because I know that I, I, I will say that the um, that uh, your half-brother, um, after the death released, uh, eventually went on, uh, you know, did a website of, of, of your father and posted a lot horrible. of his sex videos and pictures and all that stuff. And, and yeah, horrible. Would, yeah, it would make people pay for it. You know, that was uh, yeah. crazy. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't yeah. know how you could do that with about your dad. Um, yeah. And charge well, people. This, this, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, so how, how does that affect your relationship with them? Well, for, first of all, that website, that was, I think it was the late 90s, yeah. uh, 98, 99, 2000, something like that. And somebody told me about it, and uh, of course that seems like a, an eternity ago, you know, in terms of uh, Internet and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it was Patty and Scotty had mm -hmm. dug out all these old photos to talk about finding photos. <laughs> well, they found all the stuff after, you know, I vacated that apartment, all my dad's stuff was there, uh, and they found photos and all that. And instead of just kind of sucking it in and putting it in a drawer or burning them or something like that, they decide they're going to make money off this. So that this is the loving wife that she claims to be, or claimed to be. She's no longer with us. Um, that you would put your husband's private photos like that out on the Internet right. and then and, and charge money? And disparage his character. I mean, how disrespectful is that? Absolutely. You know, and he can't speak for himself. He's long gone. And, yeah, and that really broke open all of his secrets um, to the world, um, which they were nobody's business. Uh, he took photos for himself or for the person he was taking a photo of. They would ask for photos, um, but it wasn't—it wasn't for the the World Wide Web to see. So to answer your question, um, I have no relationship with Scotty. Um, I did have a re relationship with getting choked up here, hairball. I did have a relationship with Patty early on in my dad and Patty's relationship. Uh, again, trying to make, hey, let's all become this happy family. And, you know, yes, there are people from the other family and another family and all, you know. let's. And that worked for a couple of years until Patty basically had no room for any other women in her life. So that would include my sisters, uh, my mom, of course, being the ex-wife, uh, my dad's mother, my grandmother, who's still alive at that time. She didn't want any part of that. So the women kind of went first. I survived for a while. Um, you know, we got along. But then in one of their arguments, I, of course, took my dad's side and I had a conversation with a one, you know, Dad, I, I don't know how you can do this or something like that. 
So, of course, the next time I'm over at their house, my dad's talking to Patty and says, even Bobby says he doesn't know how I could, you know. And I, she looked at me, and I felt like the floor was opening up, and I was just dropping, you know. I was done. <laughs> Mm. Another no. Hollywood family. Yeah, things are good. Dr. Phil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Next stop. <laughs> yeah. And so there was a there was another wife in between, wasn't there? Another No, no. No, no just two wives. And no, my mom friend. and Patty. Yeah. Yeah. So he was he was That I know of. Yeah, that was. <laughs> I should say that. Yeah. But yeah. Now, No, the, I I think it was two. Yeah. Did, did he? Did Patty know then that he was doing all of these videos and what he was doing with Carpenter and all that? Yes, she did. Yes, she knew. She endorsed it early on. Go ahead. You know, when you're on the road, you have fun. And I'll be here. You know, taking care of the house and blah blah blah. And that quickly that quickly uh, fell apart. You know, after a while. Because that's that's not how humans are. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about now. You you've got a new book out. Um, I tell, do. Tell the listeners about it. Like what? It sounds really interesting. Well, uh, I used to write for magazines and newspapers when they're. Everybody remember magazines and newspapers? <laughs> yeah. um, no, I guess I guess there's still a few out there, but um, yeah, it. it uh, yeah, had a great time. I wrote for Playboy uh, off and on for 20 years and, you know, other magazines and, and newspapers of the day. And uh, I got to interview, um, uh, I would call them, well, performers and artists, really. Um, and I've taken the best of the, the stuff that I, I did over uh, 35, 40 years. Um, I started when I was five years old. Um, kidding. Um, and then... <laughs> And I've put this into a book called Hollywood Plateau. And um, my uh, got a great cover, the Hollywood signs kind of falling apart. Uh, and uh, Megan uh, Behar, Ricky Behar, designed it for me. Uh, I pitched around. No, publishers don't care about stuff anymore unless you're uh, James Comey or, or, you know, a political <laughs> thing or Clinton or somebody. And they didn't want it, so I threw it out on Amazon, good old Amazon, where it's uh, on Kindle and paperback. And but many of the names in the book are still in the news. Ashley Judd and her, you know, the Weinstein thing. Roseanne, who's got the uh, a new hit again. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel, SCTV. I've got uh, athletes in there. Oscar De La Hoya, the boxer, um, and artists. Actresses, actors, comedians, Jimmy Kimmel, did I mention him? Um, And and, uh, it's just a fun read. It's a great, I call it a great bathroom read, you know. Uh, You can check off an interview and then uh, come back to it later. And it was a lot of fun to go through all the materials. I I think it's my, the best of kind of thing. I went through a lot of stuff and you know, narrowed it down to that. But um, it's uh, it was a lot of fun to see it again. And, and again, a lot of the names are, are still still out there. 
Yeah, I, I, it sounds really interesting. Actually, we, we will have it uh, on our website as well, so people can just... Oh, uh, fantastic. When they're on, they can just click and, and get it direct. Oh, thanks. And, um, yeah, uh, thank you. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. It's been uh, a pleasure. Um, again, we've had uh, Bob Crane on, and he is the son of um, Hogan's Heroes, Robert Crane, uh, if everybody knows, um, Colonel Hogan. Um, thank you for taking the time and, and talking about um, some, some of the history of your life. Well, thank you. It was great talking to all of you. Thank you. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you! If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.